I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Notebook. I am Marc-Antoine Godin with Arpin Basu, live from California on this Friday, November 24th. How are you today, buddy? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Enjoying life in California. I bet. The travel schedule is not fantastic, but the weather's been great. So I think uh, the weather in Montreal has not been great, eh, from what I hear. No. no. Yeah. So no, it, it can't be California. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. So I can't complain. I can't complain. Northern California. I like San Jose. It's fun. So um, yeah. Here I am. But you mentioned you mentioned the the schedule though. We're going to get to our main topic for today in a minute. But I wanted to ask mm-hmm. you right from the get go. Uh, the Canadians played in Anaheim. Uh, you know they were. I don't know if they were still jet lag, but they they played in the evening. They were playing three games in four. So they uh-huh. had a they had a day off yesterday. They were supposed to have a day off yesterday. They decided to practice. They weren't then, supposed to have a day off. That was a scheduled practice that they decided to maintain. Right. How surprising yeah. is that? That's my question because they it's, it's three games in four days. And this is and this what's shocking about it is that not only did they practice yesterday in San Jose, uh, they practiced so they practiced Monday in Brossard, flew to California, practiced Tuesday in Anaheim. And then on Wednesday, had a morning skate. And here's what's particular about it is that Marte St. Louis said that the decision to have that morning skate was taken by the players. Mm-hmm. They decided to have that morning skate. And because they, I think it, it was a reflection of sort of the critical nature of that period of the season in the players' eyes, where they were kind of, they saw how the season had been going. Because I think it was the first time the Canadians held a full morning skate on the day after a full practice. Yes. Which, and let's not kid ourselves, the the practice in Brossard on Monday was extremely full. It was a difficult practice. The practice in Anaheim on Tuesday was extremely full in a different way, was mentally full. There was a lot of teaching and tactical things going on at practice. And, uh, Marty gave them the choice and the players decided that we should skate before the game against the Ducks. It's a good so sign. It shows it's, it's, it's a good well, sign. it's a good sign and just it just gives you a sense of the urgency that these players felt uh about the four games in a, four losses in a row, where this could lead, uh everything. So it gives you just a, a bit of insight into the mindset of the players and how they feel. Um, their season could wind up if they play well, and they didn't want to derail that in what mid-November 
uh, by allowing a four-game losing streak to linger. Right. And I think we saw the effects of that in Anaheim uh, just by the way that they came out. Yeah, for 20 minutes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they, they clearly, yeah. I mean, it didn't last the whole game. That's true. But at least you could tell that their desire to start strong and, and change the momentum, yeah. it, it was obvious. And they, they played yes. one of their better periods of the season uh, on that night. But then again, I come back to the fact that in terms of load management, in terms of just how teams uh, organize their schedule, having a game in the evening, then a day, you know, then a day that you could choose to, Use however, however, however way you see fit, and then you have two matinee games in a row. Uh, it would have been logical, or should I say, certainly like the the common common wisdom in hockey to have mm -hmm. that day off. So it speaks again to the fact that the Canadians think that they're they're really in the crunch time of the season, and that they have many things to address. Uh, yes, in, in the way absolutely, that they play. absolutely they do, and it was it was. You know, and, and another way of looking at it is that, yes, they have the back-to-back -back matinees, uh, but then they have a day off, scheduled day off on Sunday. Mm. They have a practice on Monday before getting on a plane to go to Columbus, uh, which might not be the most robust practice, let's say. So maybe they, they saw this as kind of the last opportunity to have a proper practice for the next – because that – remember that game in Columbus on Wednesday uh, is the first of a back-to-back -back with travel – Uh, they're, they're not really going to have an opportunity to practice for a while. So I think that kind of played into it as well. But for sure, you know, the Canadians see this as being a critical part of the season to get back into the race because whether you or I or anyone watching this podcast or anyone following this team believes that they can make the playoffs, this team believes they can make the playoffs. And so right. they're going to try to – Uh, nip this this lull in the bud in order to allow themselves an opportunity to actually achieve that. Okay, so on Thursday it was Thanksgiving in the United States and in Canada it was just Thursday. Uh, but every year there's this this big hoopla in the NHL around the Thanksgiving date, uh, which is pretty much the uh, the the quarter mark poll in in, in the season. And there is this Thanksgiving rule in the, in hockey that around 80% of the teams that are uh, in a playoff spot on that date will keep it, which means that mm -hmm. there's, you know, of 16 teams that are uh, in, in a playoff spot, either 12 or 13 of them will still uh, hold their playoff spot at the end of the season. And if you're trailing at this time uh, by more than two points, Unless you played a lot less games than everybody, the odds are stacked against you. So mm -hmm. the Canadians are, uh, you know, they're technically three points behind the last wild card spot, uh, which is uh, currently uh, held by uh, the, the Detroit Red Wings. Um, so today we thought that it would be, uh, we're going to use the excuse of the Thanksgiving um, Thanksgiving day to uh, to do our you know, quarter mark report on the Canadians, uh, see what worked, what did not in quirky fashion, if I should say. So <laughs> let me ask you this to start. What should this team be grateful for? Uh, I don't want to pick one of them, but basically they should be grateful for their goaltending. I mean, that's really, 
to me is what this is all about. And, and, mm -hmm. and this is the only reason the Canadians can reasonably consider themselves in the hunt for a playoff spot, even as delusional as that might be. The only reason that's an actual thing that the Canadians believe is possible is because of the play of Sam Montembeau, Jake Allen at various points, and even Caden Primo, who's going to start uh, against uh, the Sharks on, on Friday. Um, and, you know, just further to that, I just wanted to share with you guys, I had a chance to talk to Sam Montembeau yesterday about, uh, about all the rumors swirling around him and, and, and just everything that's going on with him. Yeah. And you would think that that the world is is Sam Montembeau's oyster at this point. You know, he's playing probably the best hockey of his career, had a phenomenal game in Anaheim, and was as, as great as the Canadians' first period was. The only reason they came out of Anaheim with a regulation win, their first in nearly a month, uh, is because of Sam Montembeau. It, it was really the, the, the Ducks in the second period should have scored six goals, <laughs> and they did not because Sam Montembeau prevented them from doing so. So – Really, he's on the top of the world. I mean, he's playing great. He's kind of proving what we saw from him last year, what we saw in the World Championships. He's in a contract year. But his reality is that these trade rumors are swirling around him, and he's in contract negotiations. There's a lot of uncertainty in his life. And so I asked him about it yesterday after practice, and – he was like, yeah, I've seen the rumors. You know, it's hard to kind of, you're on social media. You see them go by. It's, it's, it's hard not to notice it. And, uh, and plus, all my friends see it. So if I, even if I go to, like, Facebook, um, then, you know, then even then I don't have a respite because they're reposting things on Facebook and they're, they're sending stuff out. So, so I see it. But uh, he said, I was like, so what do you do when you see it? He's like, well, I keep scrolling and I'll look at the comments. And for anyone listening out there, especially for people like myself, for you, this is my strategy is don't keep scrolling and don't read the comments. So <laughs> good for Sam Montembeau for doing that. But um, uh, that's how he's approaching it. But his, yeah. his stance is kind of like, you know, I want to play for the Canes as long as I possibly can. I'm super happy here. I want to sign a long-term contract. I want to be uh, if I could retire for the as as a, if I could retire with the Canadians, that would make me the most happy. Is what he said. Wow. Uh, so in this context, you know, you have two kind of sides of Sam Montembeau. A, he's like been the savior and he's playing amazing, and on the other side of it, he has this massive uncertainty surrounding his career, and in the most pivotal season of his career, where he could go UFA at the end of the year. He could be traded. Who knows what's going to happen, but it's um, – so to me, he is – and Jake Allen and Caden Primo, the goaltending in general, but really him is what the Canadians should be most grateful for. But, um, you know, when you're grateful for something, you should probably reward it. But I don't think it's that simple for the Canadians because I'm not sure to what extent they want to give this – the security that Sam Montembeau seeks. And as we've mentioned in previous episodes, finding a happy fit between what the Canadians feel he's worth for how many years uh, and what Sam feels he's worth for how many years is probably going to be a difficult fit. Yeah. Yeah. 
When it comes to uh, what I think the Canadians should be grateful of, I'll go with the patience of the fans. I'll, and I'll tell you why. The Back uh, on draft Are the fans day, being patient? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I think that they're right. showing more patience than I thought they would. Because on draft day, when, they, when the Canadians drafted David Reinbacker, uh, mm-hmm. the backlash was so strong, so visceral, and there was so much venom spewed in the Canadians' direction that I thought, oh, the honeymoon's over. Now the, 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 they're losing the benefit of the doubt in the way that they're communicating with the fans, and now it's going to be, everything's going to be harder, and all the, the clemency that they got from the fans and, and the Previous season, it's not going to be there anymore. There's less patience than than last year. Don't get me wrong, but for the most part, I think that there's still a healthy amount, more than I thought there would be, because every mm-hmm. time that you bring up the fact that this team is in a is in is on a losing skid or they're n- not doing enough of this, not doing enough of that, well, the reactions are well. Would, what, what do you expect? They're a rebuilding team. So, because I read the comments, yeah. I read the comments. So yeah, no, I've always told you, I've always told you you shouldn't, but that's okay. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> at some when people bother to write to you at some point, it's good to it's good to take the pulse, and uh, yeah. and the pulse that I get is that there's still quite a bit of of patience among the fan base, and uh, I think the Canadians should be grateful for that because they're selling something that is going to get increasingly difficult to to, to sell. And in that sense, they're, they're still, they still have some interesting leeway to work with. Do you really feel that, though? I mean, honestly, I look at a lot of fan comments. I do read comments. And, mm-hmm. I, and so, I mean, I look at a lot of them, and I see a lot of impatience with Uri Slavkovsky. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of impatience with David Reinbacker. I see a lot of impatience with uh, just some of the decisions the Canadians have made and not allowing them to play out. Uh, I think that there's a strong faction of the fan base that is, is still extremely frustrated. The Canadians did not draft Matt Bay-Mitchkov. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a lot of, so, and that's fair. That's fine. You can disagree with that. And that's totally, and, and perhaps those fans will be right. I just, I'm not discounting, uh, those people's rights to their opinion and whether that opinion is false. I'm not saying that at all, but what I am saying is that there's not, I don't see that much patience in those two picks. And I think that's extended to some other decisions that the Canadians have made that are just being sort of piggybacked on the frustration over those two picks. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, it's it's so I I do think there is a strong faction of the Canadians fan base that is being patient and is willing to let things play out a little bit, but I think there's another strong faction of the Canadians fan base that is is quickly becoming disillusioned with the new management group based on two draft picks largely mm-hmm. um, that is that that is becoming a bit of a there's a bit of a dichotomy there. There's there's two sides to this to, to the viewpoint of how the Canadians are building for the future, and I think there's a lot of discouragement out there uh, that's palpable and 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 readable online for sure. 
Yeah, but uh, I agree. But regarding Reinbacker, I mean, all the discontent regarding that, I mean, it's isolated. I don't put any weight on that anyway because the kid's not even playing in the NHL. Slavkovsky is a whole different matter uh, be, just in terms of, you know, second-guessing his his draft, second-guessing the way that he's being handled. Um, so that's that's an issue in itself. But I think that the the lack of patience or the criticism towards Slavkovsky doesn't extend to the whole team in general in terms of what the expectation, expectations are for this team this year, its place on, in the standings and whatnot. So that's where I, I make the separation between the two. People can can complain all they want about Ron Becker. Honestly, until he sets foot in North America, I don't – there's – I, I give no validity to their judgment. I, 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 fact, that's fine, but it, it's 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 a factor in the overall patience of the fan base. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because but they're all, seeing, but, they're but seeing game a to guy, game, game to game. It doesn't factor in, though. Well, yeah, well, somewhat. I mean, game to game it depends on which league you're talking about. Game to game in Sochi, they see Matvey Mitchkov putting up a point a game in Sochi, and it it, it contributes to it. So it's. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there is a um, it's 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 there is a certain amount of patience among a strong group of the fan base, and you know, honestly, love to hear from you guys it, where you feel about this. But I, I I feel, and maybe these are just the most vocal parts of the fan base that I'm reading, but I, I don't see all that much patience. Mm -hmm. I think there's okay. a lot of there's a lot of impatience in the sense that there's a lot of impatience fueled by disagreement. Like yeah. we disagreed with the decision to, to to draft Slaff. You know, we want Shane Wright, and all of a sudden it's Logan Cooley that we actually wanted. And in David Ryberger's case, it's clear that there's a strong, strong, strong part of the fan base that wanted them to draft Matthew Mitchkov. Um that's not gonna play out for another two and a half years before we see what he actually can do in the NHL. But in, in any case, the, I think those disagreements uh, have resulted in a heightened sense of impatience among the fan base, in my opinion. Okay. Well, I got a ton of those little questions to go through. So it's uh, if at that rate, man, you, you're going to miss the game against the Sharks. Uh, so <laughs> let's keep going. All right. Uh, what is the one thing that you could not have seen coming before the season? One thing I couldn't see coming before the season was Yol Armia being in Laval. Mm -hmm. And the fact that Yol Armia has been in Laval twice, yeah. I definitely did not see that coming. And so that was a stunner to me. It's a stunner to me that the Canadians consider, and with all due respect to him, and I think he's played actually quite well, but that Michael Pizzetta is considered a more valuable piece of the active lineup than Yol Armia. As, as for everything that you could say against Yol Armia, a lot of which is valid, um, he's, he's a bona fide NHL player who can be very effective in certain roles, definitely in a fourth-line role as a penalty killer. Um, so to see him back in Laval after being, in my eyes, pretty effective when he came back from Laval, um, I did not see that coming, for sure. Mm -hmm. 
hundred percent. That's a, that's a good one. I had not thought of that one. For me, that having three goalies, the three goalie rotation is something that I had not seen coming. It's funny because on the one hand, I wrote about it like in September before anyone else did. Before anyone, but that long was, before <laughs> I know. But that was more pertaining to the possibility that they they have to start the season with Casey DeSmith. Uh, yes. So I could definitely see that happen with Casey DeSmith, but they found a solution to that that little conundrum, and uh, and yet they they decided to stick with three goalies. Um, at the end of training camp with Caden Primo sticking around in Montreal. And mm. much to my surprise, too, they were not the only team to do so. It seems to be, I won't call it a trend, but the more that you have tandems in the league, the more value there is put in your number two goalie, even in your number three goalie. So because your number one goalie, you accept the fact that he's not as dominant as he was before. So you need to have more depth. You need to have, it becomes more of a weak link sort of strategy in the way that you deal with your goalies. So mm -hmm. uh, there were at some point, I think there was five teams that had three goalies on their roster. And It's like for, for a day, I think. No. Okay. But, But so yeah, I there was, there were, there were five seasons that there, there were five teams that opened the season with that's three right. goalies. Yes. Yeah. So, I had not seen it coming before the season. I definitely did not expect that it would last this long. Mm -hmm. uh, but now, and I, I cannot risk myself into saying how long it's going to take because before it gets resolved. And I will put it also an honorable honorable mention to uh, uh, Jaden Struble playing his first NHL game before Christmas um, because it needed. Three healthy, three defensemen, three regular defensemen to be injured. And it needed him to be ahead of Matthias Norlander and William Trudeau in the, in the depth charge based, uh, based simply on his play since the beginning of the season in Laval uh, yeah. in order for him to earn that call up and play so early in the year. That's something that I really did not see coming. Yeah, and I think, I think the Struble call up had something to do with... Uh with the whole soft comment in Boston. Mm -hmm. It didn't, it's no, it's no coincidence that they brought up someone who plays the game hard. Yeah. And so, especially um, with I think Jack that has something to do with it. And honestly, James Trubel's debut in Anaheim was excellent. Played a mistake-free game, played within himself, was yeah. not overtaken by the moment. His family was in the stands. It was a big deal. He was nervous. He, he didn't show it at all. I thought he handled himself extremely well in a game that was scrambly. Let's be honest. Like there are 10 guys on the Canadians that I could name who handled that game worse than Jaden Struble did. And so it's uh, yeah. So kudos to him uh, showed sort of the mental fortitude to handle difficult situations um, and, and played, played a really smart hockey game. Mm -hmm. And, and so Good on him, and and let's see uh, let's see where that goes. But he remains ahead of Matthias Norlander on the depth chart. When I asked Marty um, if he just needed a practice with Norlander before putting him in, Marty's answer was, "Well, it's Thanksgiving. We're on the West Coast. We need an extra body." So it didn't sound like Marty St. Louis is all that eager to get Marti you know Matthias Norlander in the lineup. We'll see 
see what happens later today if that actually happens. But it's 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 it it sounded to me like Struble was the guy. It wasn't just a matter of waiting or whatever. So, um, and quite honest. You know, before the game, I mentioned, I was like, oh, I don't think we're going to see Struble and Lindstrom on the ice together too often, uh, especially on the road. Uh, it seemed like a risky play, but they were on the ice often. They were on the ice together quite often and really held their own. And so I think Lindstrom, Lindstrom's been up and down since he's been up, but is showing himself to be a serviceable replacement defenseman. You know, I mean, this is a guy that, that – and the fact that they felt confident enough to play a guy making his NHL debut with Lindstrom is a bit of a feather in the cap for Lindstrom too. Like it's, it's, I really thought that they were just going to rotate both of those guys in with the top two pairs. So on occasion, Lindstrom would sub in for Kovacevic, who had an awful night in Anaheim, like just absolutely – horrendous night yes. in Anaheim. So I thought they would rotate him in with uh, Frokovicevic, maybe throw Struble in where they could. Uh, he's obviously not going to take Gooley or, or, or Matheson's place, but but no, they were a pairing. He played a, a regular shift until late in the third period and and did quite well. So good for Jaden Struble. Let's see if, let's see if he can build on this. I think it's a, it's pretty encouraging sign to have especially with Jack High out a guy who has a physical edge to his game and uh and and puts defense first there you go amen to that i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right. Uh, let's move on to uh, who's your MVP of the first quarter of the season? Uh, it's tough because my MVP would have been as of like a week ago, Sean Monahan. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he's proceeded to have like uh, probably his two worst games in a Canadian's uniform <laughs> over the last couple of games. So, you know, yeah, Boston, but the decline had started before that, though. He, the decline has... had started, but I mean, it's it's really cratered at this point. And, and he didn't, he took the day off of practice yesterday in San Jose. So he's probably playing through something, which is another red flag when it comes to him. Uh, so, but I'm going to stick with him because for the, for the vast majority of this quarter of the season, obviously the 20th game is later today, but for the first quarter of the season, the most consistent line and the one line and that had had the biggest influence on the way Marty set up his lines up until a few games ago 
was the line of Sean Monahan, Tanner Pearson, and Brendan Gallagher. And with Monahan's role on the penalty kill, Monahan's role in the power play, and the fact that that line was the one line Marty refused to touch for the longest time, uh, to this point, I still feel comfortable saying that Sean Monahan was the MVP of the first quarter of the season. Uh, but um, with the way things are trending now, uh, that answer risks being different over the second quarter. But it's uh, it's it still was a remarkable run for Monahan over the first seventeen games of the season. Let's say maybe sixteen, yeah. where um, he, in my eyes, was with no hyperbole the most important forward the Canadians had. Uh, well, it's it, it remains a, a, a decent choice. Uh, any goalie could could I mean. Samuel Montembeau could have been a good pick too, but he hasn't played enough games, I guess, to qualify. Um, so I'll go with Caden Gooley. Uh, because, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, so I, he has not played as much as, as Mike Matheson, but the level of stability and consistency that he's shown on the blue line uh, it, it was even greater than Matheson. Matheson has had some very, very difficult games. Gooley has had maybe... Yeah one or two that were like distinctively, you know, like out of character, but for the most part, and his... even those one or two weren't that bad. No. Well, there was, you know, it was maybe like a lack of concentration or, or a bit, uh, lack of discipline that, that creeped into his game once in a while. But I mean, he's so effective. Uh, he can be dominant in all three zones. And, and when we think of the Canadians of the future and how, The youngsters will eventually take over. And to me, is the Caden Gooley is the epitome of how things can be uh, can be positive and, and be cause for, for, for hope. You know, uh, I think so it's me... everything that's going right when it when we talk about progression and development, for him <laughs> everything's going right. So, so it, he's a treat to watch. Let's just so let's just point out that neither you nor I mentioned either Nick Suzuki or Cole Caulfield as the yeah. MVP of the team. And I think that's a big area of concern for this team is that while neither of them, I think have played terrible, Suzuki obviously had a bit of a lull, but even when he's come out of that lull has, has not been spectacular. He's been adequate. I'd say mm -hmm. as a first line center, um, And Cole Caulfield's obviously not scoring at the same rate that uh, that he normally does. So I think that's kind of telling that neither you nor I thought to bring up one of them as the team's MVP. And that, that's going to have to change. For the future of this franchise, they can't have a quarter of the season go by and have neither of two people who follow this team extremely closely choose one of Suzuki or Caulfield as the MVP of the team. That's a change because it's, these are two crucial pieces to the, what the Canadians are trying to build here. They are the two players with the longest term contract. There's been a major financial commitment made to both of them. And so far, while they haven't been awful, they are not okay. the best players on the team. They're not the best okay. players on the team. No. It's, it's that simple. And so, Over the second quarter, you know, the Canadians need to see something from both of these guys in a big way. More so Caulfield than Suzuki, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I agree. But I'll come back to that later. I want to ask you about who's the most improved player so far this year. Well, he's your MVP. It's, it's Gooley to me. Gooley's yeah. been – Gooley's – and I don't even know if that's fair because, frankly, I think he's playing very similar to how he played last season, but it's – it is uh, – it's at another level. His, his the, the poise and the composure in his game is – you watch him <laughs> – The way I judge Gooley is that when he makes a mistake, it stands out because he never makes them. And you're like, that's the baseline for a player who's in his second season yeah. as a defenseman playing in a top four role. And the other night in Anaheim, I mean, Kovacevic was having just an awful time of it, right? And, and so the contrast between Kovacevic – At 26, he's also in his second NHL season. Let's not overstate that but or understate that. Uh, but you compare the way the Kovacevic's night was going to Ghoulies, you're like, oh, it's a good thing he's got like a veteran presence next to him. But no, <laughs> he doesn't. It's Caden Ghoulie in his second year. So I think his composure, his poise, his leadership, a lot, a lot of things make me think that Caden Ghoulie is the most improved player on this team. Yeah. I'll go. Uh, I'll go with Justin Barron because yeah, that's fair. Yeah, because Justin Barron. I know you keep saying that he was happy with his camp. I thought that his training camp was just okay. It was better than last year, but it's still just okay. He started off the season as this Canadian seventh defenseman, and you know, obviously, David Savard's uh, injury changed his face his fate for the better. To a certain mm -hmm. extent, because he he stepped into a role that uh, he got he acclimatized with, you know, gradually over over games. And honestly, he, he started the season as a seven D, and now, I mean, you look at the, at his ice time; he's playing twenty two minutes, twenty twenty one. It's it's pretty good. <laughs> he's become yeah. a top forty and a pretty not necessarily mistake free, but a more more stable. Justin Barron that what we had seen previously and that's really mm -hmm. encouraging because uh I mean we've we, we've talked about him in in previous episodes of the notebook but to me this is a guy who we tend to forget his age we picture because he was traded for Archery Lekkanen and he was you know he was a uh, first round pick in what in, in well in 2020 he's he's just he just turned 22 years old but people We'll think that 20, by the age 20, uh, 22 years old, you're supposed to be who you are, and you, if you're not, if you're not there yet, you'll never get there. Uh, well, he's still developing, and I, I feel like he's finally, finally found some momentum for himself. And it's not just from last year to this year, like you can say for Gooley, it's really from game one to game 19. Yeah, and well, so from day one of training camp to game that's 19. That's it. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I don't disagree. And I think he's been, I think he's been really solid. Honestly, like he's, and, and I didn't think it would be a good fit with Mike Matheson, but it has been. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think actually, I think since Barron's been with Matheson, Matheson's improved. So, uh, don't disagree at all. Yeah. Um, let's jump ahead a little bit. And, and, you know, we had a whole list here, but, as is normally the case, we've, we've gone too long on, on many of them. So <laughs> let's jump to, uh, 
Let's jump to the most worrisome trend yeah. over the first quarter of the season. Okay. What's that to you? Well, to me, it's a standings thing. The fact that their record is not better than last year. Uh, before the beginning of the season, the word was progression. It had to be, you had to see progression, whether it's a collective progression or individual progression, but you had, this team had to take a step forward. And let's not forget uh-huh. that last year, so last year after 19 games, the team was 9-9-1. So they were, they were playing for 500. This year, they're 8-9-2, pretty much the same. But back then, last year, at the same time, you had Mike Matheson, who had played only two games. Uh, Joel Edmondson had missed a dozen. Yola Armia had been hurt. Uh, even Slavkovsky had, had, had missed like three games. So it's not as though they were completely healthy, and this year they've been the victims of a few injuries here and there. Um, yeah, and you got to wonder, you know, which if it's not the the overall the result based type of progression, well, then if you turn to the individual progression, well, which young players have taken really a, a step forward in their progression? Gouli, no doubt about it. We just mm-hmm. mentioned uh, Baron. There's Montembeau also. I would say that Newhook seems to have taken a step compared to this to his Colorado days, but that's when that's where Suzuki entered the conversation. Where Cole Caulfield, with the fact that he's he's regressed in his production, specifically his five on five goal production, uh, mm-hmm. you can't say that he's progressed in the early on in the season. Uh, Slaff, the the progression's been incremental. Uh, same for Harris. And there's other guys, you know. So yeah, I mean, it's it it's been only a few games, but I don't think that HP has set the world on fire either, or even continued uh, with the momentum of last year. So when you look at the young players on the team, uh, there's not a whole lot of them that has re- that have really taken a positive step. So. You know, last year we we kept saying, well, had, had it not been for all those injuries, they probably would not have been a, a bottom 10 team. And right now, well, they're a bit banged up. They're like, what, something like 20, around 23rd in, in, in overall. Uh, so if this team doesn't collapse because of injuries and they keep hovering around 500 until the end of the season – And if you don't see significant improvement from their key young players later on in the year, well, I don't see how management will look at this year and say, you know what, mission accomplished. We did what we set out to do this year. So when we talk about the biggest worrisome trend, to me, that's that. It's the lack of obvious significant progression, either on the collective side or the individual side. Yeah, that's fair. I, th- I think there's, <clears throat> I think there's regression coming to that, in the sense that I don't think Cole Caulfield's going to score one even straight goal all year. I don't think Nick Suzuki's going to not produce to the extent that he has him so far. Even though he's, I think he's on a four-game point streak, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. or maybe three games at this point. Um, no, I think I think there is there is some 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 correction coming offensively from some of the younger players. Yeah. Um, but to me, defensively, uh, the worrisome trend is that, is, is, is leaking chances off the rush. I mean, the other day, um, 
Megan Chaika from Slat to Athletes put out this chart that showed which teams give up the most chances off the rush per 60 minutes and which teams give off the most chances off the cycle per 60 minutes. The Canadians were right in the middle in terms of giving up chances off the cycle, but were far and away the leader in giving up chances off the rush. And it's more than anyone. Wow. Okay. No one more than Edmonton, more than I think Chicago was next closest and Chicago Mm. was so far to the right because they give up chances in both. So it was hard to like really measure it, but the Canes were, were above Chicago in terms of giving up chances off the rush. So I think when you're trying to build a team and you're trying to, you're trying to develop through competitiveness and winning as the Canadians claim they were this season. The one way to do that and the one way to mitigate against Josh Anderson, not scoring 19 games in uh, Cole Caulfield, not scoring as much as he usually does. Nick Suzuki taking some time to get going. The one way you mitigate against that is to play solid defensively. And the Canes haven't done that. I mean, they remain a very leaky undisciplined defensive team, to be honest. They're the most penalized team in the league. They uh, Their penalty kill has shown a lot of leaks of late. Um, I think they only took one penalty on against Anaheim, and it was Slavkovsky just having his arm in the wrong place. Credit to Mason McTavish for hooking that arm and falling down, but it only took him five seconds to convert off the ensuing faceoff. You know, it's, it's not... So there's a lot of defensive issues, I think, on this team, and it's it's something that I feel uh, – I don't want to say that the Canadian, that Martin St-Louis doesn't want to address because his focus on the forecheck is essentially defensive focus. Yeah. Um, but they've uh, – they got a lot of issues in their own end. And it's something that structurally you would like to see the coaching staff – improve because they had those issues last season. And again, to go back to what your answer was on this, the progression there has not been good. So that's my, all all those, uh, all all those chances off the rush. You look at the, at the game in Anaheim, the number of odd men rushes that they gave up. I mean, no, it's no surprise that they want to practice as much as possible. I think (laughs) there were seven in the second period alone. And yeah, and, and it's funny, after the second, I, I crossed paths with Eric Raymond. And I was like, yeah, you guys putting up a pretty good one, eh? It's referring to Sam Montabou. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, yeah, you know, it's too bad. He, he was, you know, he was right there on, on, he mentioned like just kind of the minor mistakes that were made on the two goals. I was like, Eric, like how many odd man rushes has he faced? <laughs> He's allowed two goals. Yeah. <laughs> They've given up like 10 odd man rushes in two periods. He's like, yeah, that's not my department. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so, no. so it was a polite way. It was kind of a polite way to say that, yes, you're right. I would have liked to have seen this, this, and this on the goals that he allowed, but that's a goalie coach's no job. Comment. You know? like, no comment. Yeah, it was basically yeah. a no comment. And, yeah. and, and basically – you know, and focusing on the corrections to be made as opposed to all the good things that, that, that Montalbo did. And that was before he absolutely robbed, I think it was Frank Vetrano at the end oh, uh, or in the third period save. with that glove saved. And so yeah. Yeah. the Canadians' defensive play has been 
subpar to be polite. And and it's something that they can't allow to continue if they want to actually fulfill the mandate that they gave themselves of being a competitive team who's still trying to develop and still trying to progress. Well, when we look at at, at the their that decor, even you know, first day of the season, you looked at the list of defensemen, we sort of expected that it would be a weak spot for the Canadians this year. Now they're they're down three regular defensemen that are injured. I think that there's a lot of responsibility that has to shift, or it, it should have been like that from, from the get-go. But Martin Saint-Louis mentions a lot the fact that they defend as a five-man unit. I think that mm -hmm. there's a lot more that's being expected out of the forwards to really apply either good forecheck deep in the zone or good back pressure when when you know the rush is going the other way but the uh, the, the, the the group of forwards have to be a lot more active than they've been because those defensemen i mean there's they're bound to be eaten alive otherwise and it's it's fantastic that the 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 goalies whether it's Montembeau, Allen or Primo have been playing that way but at some point there's a chance that there might be a regression going the other way when it comes to the goaltending too. It's, no, 100%. 100%. Right? So, and they can't and they can't rely on the goaltending to bail them out all the time. And I just feel like but we said that is, after the first month of the season and now after two well, months that's of the what same I'm talking reality. About. Well, that's why it's a worrisome trend. That's yeah. that's, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so It's uh, all right. So uh, the next one, um, you know, who's been most put to the test so far? Yeah, I would go with Jonathan Kovacevic. Uh, honestly, yeah. that guy, that guy, he, you're 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 really stretching it. You know, uh, the fact that he's he's playing. You know, as much as he as he has at the NHL level so far. I mean, yes, it's only his second full season in the league, but he's been put in a situation that is new to him. He doesn't exactly have either the profile or or the skills to be playing such an important role. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, the last couple of games, you're mentioning how it's been difficult for Monaghan in in. Boston, and then after that in Anaheim, well, same could be said about Kovacevic. Uh, mm -hmm. So, and it's at first I thought that he'd be a third pairing, borderline seventh D. Uh, the fact that you know he can play on both sides, he's got a lot going for him. Uh, but the, he's been he's been asked to do a lot, and I think that he's he's reached his limit. So on certain nights, it's really you have to put the Your finger on the pulse and see. Okay, tonight does the does he does he have it the way that we want it, or do we have to scale it back a little bit? So there's a there's a read to be done with Kovacevic because you can see in the current uh, current situation uh, with all that's being asked that there's going to be a, a lot of inconsistency in his play. Yeah, I agree. Um, and and yeah. I, I think that's a great pick. And actually, I'm going to go back to my MVP kit pick because I think Sean Monaghan is is being asked to do a bit too much. And mm -hmm. and I think that's it's starting to show itself now. And I think it's tempting. It's so tempting as a coach when you see Sean Monaghan, everything he does and everything that he brings to the team. 
and all the roles that he can fill and how responsible he is. Listen, he had, he did not have yet. I'm going to flat out say he had a bad game in Anaheim. However, when the Canadians needed to protect that lead at the end of the game, he played the final two minutes of the game mm-hmm. and, and, and had another shift within the last five minutes. So played about three and a half of the final five minutes of that game. This is something like Martin St. Louis. He has become his security blanket and he's, I wonder the extent to which they're going to kill his trade value because they're playing him too much. <laughs> like it's, it's, he's playing over 20 minutes a night or 20 minutes, roughly 20 minutes a night, both special teams. Although I think his work on the PK has been dialed back a little bit, but he's, he's been Mr. Everything for this team and they're going to have to dial it back. He's being asked to do too much and he's been great. Yeah. But right now we're seeing we're seeing some some signs that of wear and tear, maybe not injury wise, even though missing practice yesterday in San Jose is maybe the first sign of concern with him. But there's being too much asked of him. I think his sweet spot would be fifteen to seventeen minutes, which is still a robust number in terms of ice time. Um but I think we're starting to see from his performance and from the fact he had to sit out practice yesterday that um, maybe he's being leaned on a little too hard. And, and yeah. that, and, and for the, for the well being of the franchise and the well being of the Canadians, they need to optimize that guy as much as they can for as long as they can to goose his trade value and get as much as they can for him prior to the deadline. And the way things are trending over the last little while, there's an adjustment that needs to be made. And maybe it's the fact that his minutes need to be dialed back. So that's what I would he's, go Because he's a top six talent, but he needs to be managed as a third-line center. Yeah, yeah and, it's, and it's fine. In terms of 15 to 17 minutes, because he, he'll do everything well. But at some point, you know, if, if you squeeze the fruit too much, there won't be any juice. Exactly. And that's, and that's, that's the risk that you run when – You know, a guy, like I think we're seeing it from Tanner Pearson too, to some extent, where he's not as effective as he was early in the season, but his role is not quite as uh, quite as significant as Monaghan's is. But I think you know, it's these are two guys that the Canadians would love to trade before the deadline. Yeah, let's put them in a position to optimally perform so that there's sufficient trade entrance a long time from now. You know, they, they got to go another three months minimum where these guys are being effective for, for, for some sort of auction situation to, to develop with them. And less so with Pearson, but definitely with Monaghan, it's something that has to be monitored. You know, I, I don't know if, it, if, it's, if it's done as closely with uh, Adam Douglas as it was with Pierre Allard, but we're referring to the uh, – You know the, the 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 special the Canadian specialist of uh, uh, sports performance and uh, you know and and conditioning too, but Pierre Allard back in the day he used to use the, the all the data that they had with the with the, uh, uh, the catapults. catapult catapult uh, wearables and yeah. basically with the all the amount of data that he had they don't wear them anymore huh no they don't wear them anymore so. But they used to. He used to collect that in order to manage 
how much uh, to identify a, a, a the ideal workload for each player, both in mm -hmm. practice and during games. And the the result of it was that the Canadians would play. It's it might have been a, by, a byproduct of the fact that they didn't have like uh, Austin Matthews or a superstar in their team, but their top six guys would play really less than almost any group of forwards in the league. And it would be a very interesting case study if Pierre Alain was still here to hand him uh, Sean Monahan and say, okay, what would be the ideal ice time based on the data, based on right. with the, inf the well, information that you get from, from him? I think Adam Douglas says those things. And I think Adam Douglas actually as a coach who listens to him, uh, as opposed to Pierre Alain, who didn't. So it's like uh, is is I think there's there's a more progressive way of viewing things with the Canadians. I think that's probably the reason why Sean Monahan wasn't at practice yesterday. Uh, but um, but Adam Douglas does listen. Whenever you're on the road, you see Adam Douglas in real time during practice inputting data. Although I think his techniques have changed um, from last season. There was a lot more of that last season, so maybe we'll have to dig into that. Yeah. Okay, the last one I want to get in our little awards thing because I thought this was funny when you came up with it. But who this season is more miserable, Connor McDavid or Josh Anderson? <laughs> yeah. Which I thought was a cheeky, nice, cheeky question and very appropriate today. So I'm going to let you answer first and then I will go next. But I think we're going to have the same answer, but I think I have a bit more context than you do on, on this one with Anderson. Uh, you cannot go that many games without scoring a goal and look so sad and and miserable than that Josh Anderson right now because Connor McDavid I mean he's he's the the premium talent in the world and he can he has the opportunity on any given day to change the fortunes of his team at least on one side of the of the ice whereas Josh Anderson I mean there's I, I cannot I could understand if he saw no end in sight to 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 this to this spiral. And I, I remember he said at some point, like a couple of weeks ago, he says, I don't know what I've done wrong to the man up there or what he what what the man up I don't there know what has the guy, against me. I don't me. know what the guy up there has against me. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So yeah. if that was the case like 10 days or two weeks ago, well there there's like a, a godly wrath that's still a full-on against Josh Anderson. He'll come out of it at some point. And I keep saying that I, I recognize the fact that, man, he's, he's he must be doing some good things because all those chances he misses in the slot, he has them because he's there. Because for all that Martin Saint-Louis talks about not necessarily being always fast but being there at the right time, well, Josh Anderson is there at the right time. But he just he misses the net constantly. It's gotten into his head. I really hope that he comes out of it the ASAP because he's a good player. And when I read the comments and I say, ah, anyway, Josh Anderson is not a good player. Shut up. He's a good player. But it's it's one spectacular funk he's in right now. Well, that's all well and good, but I mean, really, the most miserable of the two is Connor McDavid. I mean, let's be honest. In terms of uh, comparison of expectations to actual results, there's no comparison. I mean, Connor McDavid is the most miserable NHL player in the league. There's there's no doubt about it. Josh Anderson is not in a good place. Um, 
but there's no comparison to a guy who is expecting to win a Conn Smythe trophy in a Stanley Cup and all of a sudden be at the bottom of the league standings. But said that. Josh <laughs> Anderson um, Josh Anderson yesterday in San Jose, half hour before practice begins, with the goalies, comes out, and there's always two guys who come out to shoot on the goalies. And at first I was like, oh, it's not nice. Josh Anderson's coming out to shoot on the goalie. It's always Jesse Alonen. Always. Uh, and some other guy. This time I thought the other guy was Josh Anderson. I was like, oh, okay, he's going to work on his shot on the goalies. Good for him. No. He went to the other end of the ice while the goalies did their workout before the practice. Yuri Slavkovsky eventually came out to shoot on the goalies. Josh Anderson was by himself, opposite end of the ice, shooting on pucks on net. Eventually Adam Nicholas comes out, tries to pump him up, do what Adam Nicholas does, high energy, rah, rah, blah, blah, blah. But started working on things. They spent a half hour shooting and you know in the same breath almost but it wasn't really it was in two separate answers but mm-hmm. on one hand josh anderson was asked you know where's your mental state at oh i think i'm actually in a pretty good place mentally later was asked oh are you able to park it and keep this this stuff at the rink when you go home well no you know when we lose <laughs> no. when we lose and i could have had an impact on the game and i didn't you know that's the kind of stuff i think about so listen the only reason Josh Anderson is not the answer to this question is only because the level of misery of Connor McDavid is on such an exponentially greater level. But if Connor McDavid didn't exist, like, I mean, Josh Anderson's misery would be way up there. So I don't disagree with what you said about him. It's just that we have to keep things in perspective. Connor McDavid thought he'd be raising a Stanley cup at the end of the season. Right now it's looking like he's not going to make the playoffs. So it's it is relative, every time but it, every time on TV when they cut to him and the and the bench looking in the horizon or like his eyes are completely dead and it's like what the hell is this mess? Yes, and yeah. I don't blame him. And the misery is real. And and I think in Josh's case, it is also real. And he's 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 struggling with it, but it's a tough one. All right, so we had a listener because it's Friday. And we've called it, we used to call it, we called it Prospect Friday. And we had a listener who decided that it should be called Future Friday, which I got to say has a better ring to it. Yeah. So I think we should get to Future Friday here. I'm all for alliterations. So yes, there you go. Absolutely. Okay. So this uh, this week, actually, our Future Friday will be not on one, but on two guys. And we're going go, to go to Russia. And because yeah. uh, there are two picks that the Canadians made in the last draft, they drafted defenseman Bogdan Konyushkov, and also uh, they also drafted a goalie, uh, Evgeny Volokin. And uh, oh. Volokin was a fifth round pick, and and both of these guys really, uh, really stand out so far in their you know in their respective role. Uh, Konyushkov, I mean, has started. It, He was drafted as a as a double overager, double over overager by Montreal. Right, and uh, I mean he plays for Torpedo, uh, which is the, the team of uh, coached by Igor Larionov. He's basically their number Nizhny one Nov- defenseman. Oh, that is. It's not Nizhny Novogorod. No, no, no. Uh, well, Torpedo is uh, uh, actually. Hold on a second. Is it uh, is it uh, no Nishkin or Novgorod is a uh, is, is a different um, 
Yeah, yeah. Well, we're talking about the same team, actually. Torpedo is just the first. <laughs> it's just the name of the team. Nizhny Novgorod is a city. It's, it's a city. That's what right? I was. Sorry. Yeah, that's. <laughs> so, so we're we're both right. Good. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. so he, he's for uh, Igor Larionov, which is which yeah. is significant. So he's, a, he's still a kid, right? He's tw he's 20 years old, but it's pretty amazing that this kid is averaging 22 minutes 48. He's fifth in the KHL in time on ice per game. Yeah. Uh, and he's 20 years old in the KHL, yeah. which is not exactly known to be uh, a league that, you know, that leaves a lot of ice or leaves a lot of, uh, of uh, leeway to uh, younger players. Mm -hmm. Offensively, he had started off really well. He, I mean, he picked up nine points in his first 14 games. That was absolutely insane. Uh, since then, eight points in his next 20 games, but he's still, you know, and and it fit also with maybe a, he played a little bit less during that time, but he's still mm -hmm. a guy who plays on both special teams. And uh, I was told that he was expected to become captain of his team next season. So this is how much Igor Larionov believes in this kid. Even yeah. though he's 5'11", so he's not exactly a big defenseman, uh, there's a lot to it's like. Less than 180 game. pounds, yeah. Yeah. So it's funny, when you, look at, when you look at the KHL defense scoring standings, uh, he is just ahead of Darren Dietz, former oh Canadian's draft pick, yeah. who has had a hell of a career in Russia. Like, honestly, like has really been there for a long time and has, and has put together an excellent, excellent career in Russia. Sorry for that aside, but I was just kind of looking I mean, at his way, He was named KHL's best defenseman probably yes, on more than one occasion. Yeah, no, he's, he's, he's put together quite a hockey career yeah. over there. And it's, uh, it's quite good for you, Darren Dietz. So Kanyashkov, I, I don't think there, there's no expectation at all that he's going to be in Montreal anytime soon. His, his, no. his, his, uh, his contract runs until the end of the 25-26 season. But honestly, mm. you know, he can stay there, dominate, and, uh, and, and that's fine. But it's not because the Canadians did not draft Medvey Mishkov. Obviously that they're allergic to all Russian players. And Konyushkov's the one example, and that goalie Volokin is another. Well, I mean, it's, it's, there's a difference between picking a guy fifth overall and picking a guy in the fourth round and the fifth round. I mean, those are two different things. And mm -hmm. so, but yeah, the Volokin thing is, uh, you know, I know, you know, uh, Jacob Fowler is obviously the sort of the, 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 the crown jewel of the Canadians goaltending crop, but this is, this is a goaltender that's making really big strides in Russia. Uh, there was some chatter and I don't know if this is still a possibility, but I had heard a lot of chatter actually early on in the season that Volokin was so impressive that Ska St. Petersburg was looking to sign him to a three-year deal, which mm. would have been both good and bad for the Canadians in the sense that it's good because that's how good the goalie is. And that, that, If Scott wants to commit, make that kind of commitment to him, but obviously it would mean that the Canadians have to wait until that contract expired before they can hope to have him have him in, in Montreal. But uh, his his numbers in uh, you know in the junior league in, in Russia have been phenomenal. Uh, there is a lot of excitement in the Canadians organization over how he's playing. 
Um, and I think there's just a general level of excitement over the, how the goaltenders that they drafted in this last draft are playing. You know, I mean, I think Fowler's been very impressive at Boston College, but this Volokin kid is someone that probably didn't have the same level of expectations as Jacob Fowler did, but is easily exceeding uh, what the organization thought he would do this season. Uh, now it just remains to be seen what his KHL future would be if the Canadians can swoop in and get him over to North America before he signs a KHL contract and, and gets locked in to, 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 to being in Russia for longer than the Canadians would like. But there's definitely a lot of, lot of excitement uh, in the organization around this kid, and they think they might have found something quite special uh, in the fifth round. But isn't it better to leave – goaltenders you know if if they can be because of the khl if the khl hold them a few years longer isn't it better in yeah. terms of development well i don't know about better spreading? it's 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 not disastrous i don't know about better but it's it's not a disaster i mean if he if you were to sign for three years and were to come to come to north america immediately as soon as that contract expired then yeah no problem if you could have some assurance that he would do that then mm -hmm. yeah no problem But if he signs for three years and decides, you know what, I have a pretty good life here. I'm getting paid pretty well. I play on a really good team. I'm going to sign another deal, another, another deal, and then never come. That's the problem. And so it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I, I, I would agree with you. It is better if you were to sign for three years, stay for only three years and then come. But if you sign for three years, Let's say Scott wins like two KHL championships in those three years, and he's the star of it, and he decides, I don't need anything else in my life other than this. This is great. Then, then that becomes a problem. So, But the fact that we're even having this conversation is a great problem for the Canadians to have. It's a problem that they frankly did not anticipate having, so it is a good situation for them in terms of filling uh, what is their biggest hole in the organization pipeline-wise. Mm -hmm. uh, which is the goaltending position. So, One of the best goalies uh, out of Russia in the last draft was named Igor Zavrogin. You still name Igor Zavrogin. Uh, and he was picked in the third round by the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, and he plays on the same team as Volokin. And those two kids were sort of in a competition. They, they, they followed each mm -hmm. other's tracks for a long time. And Zavrogin has always been considered like the better of the two, like the guy who was one step ahead. And he played, Zavrogin played four games in the VHL, and whereas Volokin has stayed so far only in the MHL. So mm -hmm. I don't know if those four games changed something uh, in, in just of how the workload has been split. But so far, Volokin has played 15 games. Uh, for for their team, and now I have to make sure that I don't mix up the name of the team and the uh, <laughs> the you name of the team. Didn't mix it up the, last time. The, it was the, just yeah, we yeah, had but two different. We had two different reference points on the last one. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So anyway, Mamonti Yugri, that's the the name of that team. Uh, so um, so you've got Volokin who played 15 games, and Zavergin has played only nine. So I don't know if 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 the Canadian's prospect has stolen the, the number one job, but there's clearly a much mm -hmm. stiffer competition between those two and Volokin really holding his own in a way that probably was not expected before the season. So it's when you talk about the Montreal Canadiens brass being excited with the, that 
the positive development of that goalie mm. who's a big goalie he's over six foot three he's borderline six foot four uh well that's one of the reasons because the the recent progress that they've seen in that kid is extremely encouraging so yeah that's it i think that applies to both those guys those were both seen as as shots in the dark Mm -hmm. No, I don't think shots in the dark is not fair. They were not in the dark. They knew about these players. They decided to use those picks for a reason. But, um, you know, right around the same range as Florian Jackai was picked. And I think I think the Canadians are pretty excited about Florian Jackai too, even though everyone kind of doubted their wisdom in doing that. So, um, but anyhow, these two Russian players are not maybe the Russian player that everyone wanted the Canadians to draft, but the two that they did draft, uh, they are quite excited about. Yeah. All right. So that will wrap it up for uh, this Friday edition of the Basu and Gaudin Notebook. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Uh, don't forget that you can uh, rate our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. And also you can uh, you can subscribe to the SDPN channel on YouTube. Uh, and we'll be back on Monday for more game analysis uh, with also your mailbag. So don't hesitate to uh, send us your questions either on Twitter at Basu and Godin or uh, uh, at, on our email address at Basu and Godin at gmail.com. So that's it. Bye-bye, everybody. Have a good weekend, everyone. <laughs>